But we are, we are very grateful to be able to be together as family and certainly, you know, one of our, our heart's desires to reach our community. Um, it's not just to sit up here and say, hey, we've got Jesus. It's to go out into the community and say, hey, Jesus loves you and he has a plan for your life. He has a plan for your family. And uh, so we love the opportunity that we get to do that. Uh, I want to welcome you this morning. If I've never had the chance to meet you before, my name is Chris Massey. I'm another one of the pastors here at Family Life Church. And uh, we're just grateful that you came out to spend some time with us this morning. Uh, there are a lot of other things you could have done, but you came here. And so for that, we say thank you. And uh, that we're glad we got to see your beautiful face. You got to turn and tell your neighbor, you look beautiful today. Unless that's a guy, you should probably say handsome. It gets... No guy wants to be told he looks beautiful, all right? <clears throat> so we're going to kick off a, a new sermon today, and uh, it's not a series, just a sermon that has kind of been on my heart that uh, as, as we prepare for this season of life, uh, we just finished up our Asking for a Friend series, and I uh, really appreciated the, uh, the input that I got from a lot of people, that you, you enjoyed the topics, the things that we studied, and uh, certainly something I think we'll do again next year um, as I look through my, my planning for our, our, our focus next year, uh, but just really great to see the way that God used it to facilitate some great conversation about theology, but more importantly, to begin to build that, that climate within Family Life Church where it's okay to ask questions. And, and really, that's what we want to see time and time again. If you've got questions, don't feel like you've got to sit on them, like they'll scare God or somebody else. Ask your questions because we serve a big God. And so th this morning, I kind of wanted to get into like, this idea of we are Family Life Church we have life kids, we have life youth, we say hope for every life. Life, 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 life. Are you sick of life yet? Good, that's good. We, we believe in the fact that life is a part of what Jesus has done for us. In fact, John 10.10, 10, Jesus says this. The enemy, he's talking about Satan, he came to steal, kill, and destroy. But he said, my mission, the reason I came, was to give everybody abundant life. I came to give back what the enemy took away. How many of you are glad for that, that Jesus has restored what the enemy took away? And that's something to be excited for. But as we look at this, this idea of that life, that vitality that Jesus desires to bring into our midst, uh, one of the things that I look at that we are really passionate about here at Family Life Church is life through community. We need each other. And we need each other now probably more than we realize or have ever before. And I really want to dive into that today because one of the things that really impresses me as I look back through history, I'm a history buff, I love studying history, uh, is this idea of being able to see where we've come from, why we ended up there, how we got there. But when I look at the history of the church, the early church, the way that it started, the way that it began, it's really nothing short of miraculous, when you consider that, you know, we live in a multimedia age with Facebook and everything else, there's hardly anything that can happen. Believe me, I've seen your kids take their 90-second step wearing a blue shirt for that day, and it's, we post it online, right? And, and, you know, we post what we had for dinner, and we post this. But in that time, none of this existed. Jesus was just some obscure guy in a place who claimed to be the Son of God, but through miraculous events proved that he was who he says he was, and then going to the cross, being raised from the grave, the disciples then so taking it upon themselves that we believe this so much that we're going to take it to the rest of the world. Beyond that, saying we believe it so much we'd even be willing to die for it. You know that of the 12 disciples, 
10 of them faced death and through persecution because of their profession of faith in Jesus Christ. The only one who didn't die is John. Lucky him, he was tarred and then put on an island for the rest of his life. He was the lucky one. But all of them looked at it and they said, listen, we believe in Jesus. And so we have this this picture here in Acts chapter 2 that we're going to take a look at this morning of what it was that caused the early church to just explode. And the recipe is right here. It's spelled out for us. The book of Acts is written by the same person who wrote the book of Luke. Any guesses who wrote it? Luke. It was Luke. Yeah. Yeah. I was trying trying to give you an easy one there. It wasn't like a phone a friend thing. It's fine. Luke and Acts were actually written together, all right, there are histories of what took place, the the first part is looking at the ministry of Jesus leading up to the cross and the resurrection, and then the book of Acts is kind of a history of the early church. How is it that this one man who died in this one place and had these 12 people who were following him could set off a revolutionary movement that then to this day has taken over the entire world? How is that possible except for some miraculous work from God? And so I want to look at that today. So Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, it says this. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them. Everybody say, awe. It's not that kind. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Imagine you bought yourself some fries at McDonald's. Somebody walks up and they take some and you're happy about it. Just go there, okay? They did this all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. We have this right here. This is the recipe. It's spelled out right here in the very beginning. There are four elements to it that that are like, this is how the church grows. This is how the church explodes. This is how the people of God become empowered. This is how lives get changed. It's through these four things. Number one, teaching. Now, How many of you like to learn? Okay, a couple of you. How many of you like school? Okay, we're going to drag you outside after this. No. (laughs) Teaching is so important. Learning is so important. You know, there are a lot of things that we tell ourselves, I don't really want to know about this. And I get that when you're in high school and college, you may have to learn some things that are really not interesting to you. But you need to take an interest in learning the Word of God. Teaching is important. Uh, Being under a good teacher. Listen, I'm going to say this unabashedly. If you don't think I'm a good teacher, go to another church. If I'm saying things that are heretical, that are against the Bible, that don't line up with God's Word, you shouldn't just sit there and be like, oh, well, that's weird. You need to bring it up. That should never be allowed to happen. There needs to be good teaching. There needs to be fellowship opportunity to be together. We, we talk about this with the term family. We want to be family to one another. Food, praise the Lord. Isn't God good? Like this is part of how the church grows. It's through food. I love this. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to the breaking of bread. Means they got together and they just ate a lot. Listen, if you're eating bread, you can't help but be happy. Okay? If you're on keto, you know what I'm talking about. Lastly... <laughs> Wait, they got bread? Oh, goodness. Lastly, they devoted themselves to prayer. 
This is not a final element. They're not put in succession of order of importance. These are the four cornerstones through which the church was built. And while I talk about food as though it just is the food, it's this reality of sharing things together. Sharing moments together. Sharing the time across the table from somebody else. Listen, it's these four things that were, were quintessential to the way the church just began to explode because they were learning, they were fellowshipping, they were eating and living life together, they were praying together and for one another. They needed these four things and out of this a move of God began to happen and the, the early church just became what it is today. And then we see this and this is the part where maybe it gets a little more uncomfortable for us. We're going to boil it down to two things now. It says, all the believers met together in one place and they shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Now, I know you're all starting to think, wait a minute, I've heard of this before. We're communes and everything else. Just, just stick with me. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. You know, I, I've phrased it that way to say, Imagine the idea of being generous towards someone else. Imagine the idea of loving to give. I, I know even when we begin to talk about this idea of sharing things, there's something inside of us that begins to tense up a little bit. Like I saw a few of you grab your wallet. Like it's like, do I, I still got it, right? It's just part of that, right? We, we, we look at this and when we read this idea and it just makes us a little uncomfortable. I shared this a few months ago in another sermon that we were talking about and, and really it was this study of, of a, a story in the Bible where a young man goes to Jesus and he says, listen, you know, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, listen, you've got to obey all the teaching, you've got to do this. And, and he's like, I've done all of that. What am I missing? And, and Jesus looks at this young man and he says, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then follow me. I was reading through a commentary on that passage, and it says it's, it's not to say that there's a universal idea that God says the only way we can follow him is to get rid of all of our stuff. But, and this is the thing that really caught me, he said, but the only people who find comfort in that are probably the ones who Jesus would make this statement to. The only people that are comforted by the idea that God's not asking me to relinquish all my stuff are the people who Jesus would say, hey, your stuff probably matters a little bit too much to you. But I look at this and there are two things that went into the early church. It was this. They were generous and they were united. They were generous and united. And, and so I think to myself, if, if, I'm, if I'm the enemy of God's people, Satan, and I, and I brought this up in first service, it's a statistic that uh, even among Christians... Only 67% of Christians believe in an actual Satan in hell. The, the other 33%, they believe that it was just made up. Please hear me, it's in your Bible. There is an enemy to God's people who's trying to steal, kill, and destroy while Jesus is bringing abundant life. But I look at this and I think, this is what God used to build the early church. It was built on generosity and it was built on unity, community, fellowship with one another. So then I think to myself, if I'm Satan's strategist, and I'm thinking to myself, how do I bring the church to its knees? How do I destroy the move of God that is happening all over the world? I would want to go after the very two things that cause it to be built up. I'd want to divide people, and I'd want to cause them to be stingy. I would want to divide people and then get them to be stingy. Maybe start trying to convince them they can't, af they can't afford to help other people. 
They can't afford to give to their church. They can't afford to give of their time. They can't afford to give of a talent. Maybe to convince people that there's way more to argue about than there is to agree on. How many of you have ever been on Facebook? Place of agreement, right? Listen, I'm telling you, I'm astounded that we have reached a point in history where, I mean, I don't post on Facebook a lot anymore because it's like you can't post what day of the week it is without somebody arguing. It's like today is Sunday. Well, according to the Aztec calendar, it's not Sunday. And we're... Somebody has to argue something. And listen, don't get me wrong. I've been there in my life. Uh, it, it's just my personality type. I'm never wrong. <laughs> so if somebody wants to argue with me, it's like, this is stupid because I'm not wrong. You're just making yourself look dumb. So then I got to argue and tell them why they're wrong. And, and it doesn't get anywhere. It doesn't take you anywhere. It just brings more and more division in church. That's where we're at. We're at this place where division is so rampant. We are so divided, even within the church. Denominational breakdowns, theological breakdowns, uh, political breakdowns that have divided us time and time again. I'm watching this play out, and I'm thinking, if I'm Satan, this is how I go after the church. This is the best way to do it. If God's plan to build it was to put them all together in unity and have them serve each other through generosity, those are the two things I want to attack. What do you see happening around us? I see us more and more. I can't this. I can't that. I can't this. I disagree. I can't stand. I haven't talked to that person. They don't talk to me. We don't fellowship. We don't. I, more and more and more, we're watching this division take place. And I think to myself, if we want to see a move of God, we're going to have to realize how it started, realize where we've drifted, and then somehow get back. You know, one of the criticisms of the church today is the fact that they can't even get along with each other. They can't even get along with each other. Last time I've studied this, it said that worldwide, there were over 20,000 different Christian denominations. 20,000. Meaning, we will find anything and everything to separate over. But how many you know when you begin to focus on what could divide you, it brings dest- destruction? But when you begin to set your eyes on what could unite you, it builds community. Church, we need that. Not not just in our churches, but in our families, in our homes, in our communities, in everything that we are. We, We cannot be the thermometer on the wall that just continues to watch the division. God called us to be the thermostat that comes in and says, no, we need to lead the way back to unity. We're called to lead the way back to unity. We're called to lead the way back to generosity. We're not called to be the people who are stingy and worried 24-7 about where the money's going and how am I going to, how can I, this, God says no. We were called to be the people who lead in being generous and united in fellowship. And here's what takes place, church. This is what's at stake. We read this in verse 47. Because this is not what we're seeing today. This is not a depiction of what's happening in the church right now. It says that each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. You know, I cannot even begin to count the number of times I have people come to me to talk about a family member, 
a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, and they're, I just wish they would get saved. I wish they would get saved. I don't know how to reach them. I don't know how. Listen, this is how we reach them. It's through becoming a people of community and generosity. It's through loving the people in the world enough to show them Jesus. It's taking on the heart of the disciples. Listen, the disciples, when they saw what Jesus did, they were like, the whole world needs to know about this. The whole world needs to know about this. We can't sit on it. They've got to know. We will go to whatever length it takes to make sure that people know this because people need to be saved from themselves and from eternal punishment if they don't have relationship with God. Church, I don't know about you. I would love to read headlines in the Sharon Herald that says local churches are busting at the seams and new people are being added every single day. Why does that seem so distant from us? Why does that seem so impossible? Church meeting every day. These churches are meeting. More and more people coming to... I mean, imagine the headlines. A revival broke out in Hickory School District, in Sharpsville School District, in West Middlesex, in Farrell, in Sharon. Imagine reading those kind of headlines that the early church saw daily, but we're losing because the enemy has convinced us that we can't afford to give of our time of our talents, of our resources, that there are things that are more important than community with other people of like precious faith. We're busy. Listen, I asked our staff last week, do you think that people still need community? Do you think they're looking for that? Or are we just too divided? And we all agreed. We said, you know, yeah, I think everybody's looking for community. They're just not looking for it at the church anymore. You know, I'm amazed. I look at it, and if you have children and they're in sports, I am amazed at the way that scholastic sports has taken on its own personality. That it's like, that's your community. Those are your people. That's your tribe. You know, if my son plays baseball, those are my baseball people. If they play football, those are my football people. If your daughter plays softball or you play volleyball, or go, those are my people. And there's, we just form a tribe. And then it shouldn't come to any surprise to us that out of that, an idolatrous pursuit of scholastic sports begins to take place. Well, if this tribe is what we have, let's, let's pursue it. Let's chase it. Let's make it last longer. Let's do it more. Let, and, and really, it's amazing to me to watch it happen. But church, we're supposed to be the place where community happens. We're supposed to be uniting people around Jesus. We're supposed to have compassion and the care of Christ as we deal with the world around us. And I believe this that the hope of the future church depends on our ability to prioritize the way we did at the beginning. The way we did at the beginning. No, I'm not talking sell all of your houses and your cars and let's go, you know, we'll all build little tiny houses right here on the property and we'll all live together and we'll never go. I'm not talking about that. Don't get crazy. Look at me. I, I can't live in a tiny house. But maybe, maybe we could fix our eyes on a reality that is around us. We're divided and we've become stingy. We're divided. 
We're not unified the way God has called us to be. And if we're going to take back what the enemy has stolen, we're going to have to get back onto what God had already ordained from the very beginning for health and vitality within the church. He says, I want to give life. I want to give life. And that's why we say life in everything. We believe that Jesus wants to give abundant life to every single one of your lives, your families, your marriage, your children, your neighbors, your coworkers, and maybe even, believe it or not, your enemies. Don't have enemies. We believe in life through community. We believe in it. We, want to, we built a cafe, not because we think coffee is cool. I like coffee, but I drink decaf. I get a lot of bad comments about that, but but a place that we can sit and gather and fellowship and talk. We need it. We're, we're, we need to find places in our lives where we can just shed everything else and sit down and, and sometimes be the giver and sometimes be the receiver. Right now, I need somebody to encourage me. I need someone to pray for me. Maybe in a few weeks it'll be, I can pray for you. I can encourage you. Sharing life together. But, but Satan has got us so convinced and so divided and so separated and so alone. And we often find ourselves in a place where we're just like, I, I feel like I'm just, I, I got nothing. I got no one. I feel like I'm losing. Church, I believe in life through community. We as a church, we're going to continue to invest in life through community. We want to connect you into community that brings life to you, that brings hope to you, that brings joy to you, that gives you a place to belong, a place to have ownership, a place to do life together. We need that kind of community in our lives. And I believe that if we do that, we'll continue to see, just as it did in, in the book of Acts, we'll see more and more people added daily because of the great love that's pouring out into our times of gathering together. Today is our kickoff for our life groups here at Family Life Church. And we've really been taking a lot of time to think about, what, you know, how do we bring clarity to what a life group really is? Because we have a lot of different groups that meet for different things and in different places. And, and we really felt like we, we need to, to bring some clarity to this. Why do we do this? What is the point of getting together with a group of people on a Thursday night? What is the point of getting together with a group of, on a Sunday night, on a Wednesday night, on a Tuesday? Why would we bother to do this? Because this is the community that we need with like precious faith believers, followers of Jesus in order to continue to move forward into the future of what God has for us. And so we're going to become all about it. We're going to become all about meeting together and having community with one another. This year, our life groups, we're going to have three different sessions. And every one of them is going to run for eight weeks. And during those eight weeks, I just want to, I want to encourage you with everything you've got to get into a life group. Meet with people in this church. I guarantee you, if you look around this room right now, you would probably think to yourself, I don't know 95% of the people in this room. Hashtag Satan's winning. That's the reality. As we get to know more and more people, as we fellowship together, we become stronger. And so I really want to encourage you as we kick off this life group season to get into a life group. We're going to have some that are meeting in homes. We're going to have some that are meeting here at the church. Uh, we have uh, some signups out in the foyer that I really want to encourage you. If you're in the place where maybe even just for a moment you're thinking to yourself, I do need more community. I want to be connected. I want to know people. I don't want to feel like a stranger. I'm not asking you to sign over your house or your car or your bank account. Just put your name on one of those papers so that a leader can get in touch with you and say, hey, I'd like to invite you to come and be a part of this.
Some of our groups are going to focus on teaching. Some of them are going to focus on just kind of fellowship and kind of talking a little bit about the things that we're studying on Sunday mornings. But either case, the real goal here is that there needs to be fellowship. There needs to be teaching. There needs to be an opportunity for all of us to be together. And I'm hoping there'll be food. There's going to be food in my group, I promise. That we can spend time in prayer. Because if these are the very things that cause the church to grow in the beginning, I believe they're the things that are going to cause us to grow now. That are going to bring life and vitality back into our midst. Life through community. And so I just really encourage you. I know that so many people, especially as we've come out of COVID-19, have felt more lonely now than they have ever felt before. The, The statistics are off the charts for people dealing with loneliness and depression right now. Here's your family, church. Here's your family. And we don't find our way forward through being divided and stingy. We find our way forward through being generous and in community together. Will you pray with me? God, it is a privilege to be a part of your family. When I think back through my life on the people who have impacted me and the incredible men and women of God who poured into me from my church, relationships that impacted me and set me on a course to know you and to follow you. God, I'm so grateful for each one of them. And I pray, God, that you would just begin to stir within our hearts and help us to see that we are more divided than we should be, that we have become stingy, that we're a little lost. And that, God, the the true way forward is not going to be to double down on the things we've been doing. It's got to be a change. It's got to be a different direction where we become generous toward one another, where we share in time together, share our talents with one another, open up our homes to each other, spend time together over coffee or a meal, loving on each other, praying for each other, encouraging one another, sometimes being the giver, sometimes being the receiver. But God, we believe that you are calling us to life through community. And so Lord, I just pray for the one who's out there right now that says, I don't have time for this. I don't, my schedule's so busy. I don't have time for that. God, would you just speak to them right now that this investment matters? I pray for the one who says, well, I won't know anybody. God, would you just encourage them and speak to them and tell them that they'll come to know somebody through fellowship. God, I pray that you would just break down every wall destroy every barrier between us and being the family that we want to be, that you've called us to be, God. Not just a people who occupy a space, but a people who are deeply involved in each other's lives. God, build us up to be a people who are generous and who are united in Jesus together. And as we do that, God, I pray that we will see the promise of exactly what happened in the early church, we begin to see that daily people are being added, those who are being saved. Because we need to reach the world and to show them what you've done. So God, all the glory goes to you, but unite us together under the name of Jesus. 
We give you all the glory, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Lord bless you. Our prayer team will be up here. We'd love to meet with you if you need prayer this morning. Please, on your way out in the foyer, take a look at those sheets and uh, sign up to be a part of something. Sign up to be a part of community for a night and a time and a space that works for you. But love on each other. Go out and be generous, compassionate, loving, and in community this week.